Living a life of intention starts within. Dora and I are excited to help you find the path to co-mindfulness living through our co-mindfulness masterclass. Our seven co-mindfulness principles will take you on a remarkable path towards health and happiness. For more information and to sign up for the masterclass, visit comindfulnessproject.com. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Mia Caricos is president and founder of Caricos & Associates, a boutique advisory firm providing strategic guidance to the wellness and hospitality industries on a global scale. With over 20 years of experience, Mia has helped to develop, operate, and market wellness-related brands and facilities across 100 countries and has worked for industry pioneers, including Spa Finder Wellness, Canyon Ranch Health Resorts, and Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide. She sits on the boards of the Global Wellness Summit and University of California, Irvine, and has been closely tracking developments in the wellness communities and real estate space with a passion to connect industry stakeholders around the world. Today's conversation with Mia about the past, present, and future of the wellness industry is fascinating, and she offers great hope for the days to come. Mia, welcome to Health Gig. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to be part of this, and I love what both you and Trisha have been doing with Health Gig, so it's an honor to be here. I think Trisha and I wanted to start by asking you about the current trends in the wellness industry. But even before that, we want to talk about your career and how you've come to where you are now. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll dive into the wellness industry. I grew up in the world of service on the happy coast of Maine. I've worked in hotels, restaurants, private clubs, and really loved sort of the world of hospitality. But I knew I didn't want to be a general manager or hotel manager. And I wanted to really do work with purpose. So I decided through a number of different twists and turns, I eventually went to graduate school at Cornell. And when I was there, I'm going to say my big pivotal moment for wellness was a week after getting there, 9-11 happened. And I just experienced an incredible moment in history with people and my classmates that lost loved ones. And it was just a great reminder that the work I wanted to do needed to be with purpose. And the one aspect of hospitality I hadn't worked in was the spa and wellness field, which at the time, this was almost 20 years ago, no one really knew what that meant, but they had a class there and a professor there. And we just really hit it off and I became a graduate assistant. And over the course of my two years there, really started learning about integrative health and wellness through a project I had done at Canyon Ranch. And then I lived at Canyon Ranch in the Berkshires between my first year and second year of grad school. And really just got a passion for really understanding how East can meet West and not how we can just cure people's health and well-being if they're feeling sick or they have an ailment, but how we can increase our quality of life, our longevity and prevent illness. And it just became a passion point of mine. So I, the following years, once I got out, I ended up running a huge flagship spa for Exhale Mind Body Spas in New York City really to get my feet wet in the business of wellness and eventually went to Starwood Hotels and Resorts where I led their spa and wellness division and helped build all of their spa and wellness brands over the course of about eight years. I then went to a company called Exos, which was formerly called Athletes Performance and Core Performance. They trained the world's best athletes 
across nutrition, mindset, and so forth, and really thinking holistically about training the NBA, the PGA, the NFL, Olympians, and so forth. And they asked me to bring their methodology on the campuses of Fortune 500 companies that were really trying in the early days of workplace wellness to help their employee base stay well. And then I ended up becoming chief brand officer of a consortium of health and wellness destinations around the world at SpaFinder. I ended up having my own consultancy on the side, which I still do today, called Krikos and Associates. And most recently, I was the global head and senior vice president of well-being at Hyatt Hotels worldwide, which really was the first position of its kind because it wasn't just focused on commercial health and wellness, things like food and nutrition, quality of sleep, spa, fitness, and so forth at hotels, but also the health and wellness of 130,000 colleagues worldwide in a business that never sleeps and that's open 24 by 7. So that sort of brings me to current day. So should we talk about sort of what do you see going on in the wellness field now? You know, it's really interesting. If you look at I'm going to say pre-2020, and then I'll jump into 2020 because it's been such a tumultuous few months. I think we all know that we were dealing with a global healthcare crisis, really, as we look around the world. Healthcare costs rising and really the need for people to stay well. Discussions of mental health and wellness have really started to surface over the last few years. And I would say that 2020 is not the great reset, which I've seen in business press, I would call it the great catalyst for the business of wellness and well-being. Because I think the issues we had, much like we learned when we quarantined and at home, if you had uh, poor relationships at home, you learned about it, right? Same in the business world today, I really feel like 2020 is going to accelerate the conversation from the importance of self-care as individuals that it's not selfish, that it's a responsibility to ourselves and our families and our teams and our communities, but also the importance of looking at how we work because it's making us unwell. And I think while historically we might have had a climate to talk about things like health resorts and treatments and ways in which to improve our own health and well-being, I would call it the nice to have part of health and wellness. I think 2020 is focusing on the need to have health and wellness and what that looks like right now, particularly since we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Well, I think you're right. I think we're seeing that the people that are sick are getting really sick if they get COVID-19. And if you're healthy, you stand a chance. You're not one of the vulnerable people, but we know that so many of us are very, very sick. So you bring up a really good point in that we need to start doing self-care and people need to start taking care of themselves, not just for themselves, but for the community. The people that I've been speaking to, despite the fact that budgets have been cut and people have been cut, there are parts of the industry that are really starting to flourish. People are thinking about where they want to live, what it should look like, what being well means in a community and a real estate development. I've talked to real estate developers that have been very successful in developing sort of generic communities, but if they were to make them well, what does that look like? That's sort of an interesting beacon and a huge conversation in a big market. But on the flip side, I've also spoken to everyone from a chief HR officer at a Fortune 500 company down to a teacher at a local school. The one thing everyone has in common right now is the state of our mental health 
and wellness. It is dramatic. If we had sort of underlying conditions, they have been pushed to the forefront. Really thinking about tools and resources that we can bring to life that are easy as an individual level, but also what does that look like at work? What does that look like at your community? Because there's mental health, but there's mental illness, and they have a direct correlation in how we respond or take responsibility for our own wellness is going to also really have implications for the illness that's legitimate and out there as well. We recently had Dr. Vivek Murthy at our conference, and he talked about the epidemic of loneliness. What's your view on loneliness across America? And how do you see loneliness in terms of wellness and going forward? Well, I'll tell you, if we weren't in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, I would tell you, I think loneliness is an epidemic. I think it really has been an issue we talked about probably starting in 2017, 2018, that we started realizing that despite all of our connectivity and the fact that we're on Zoom, particularly in 2020, that we are missing truly meaningful, soulful connections with people. And we went into 2020 before we quarantined in that condition. And then we came home, we're forced at home, and some of us more tech savvy than others. And trying to connect with people meaningfully is a really serious issue. We are social beings. We are human beings. And finding ways to connect with people is absolutely critical. In fact, It's funny, I've called that the need to connect with people as an anecdote for people that are struggling and they've lost their jobs and they're trying to find work. I have friends in those positions and I've literally said, you know, spend a few hours a week finding a way to connect with someone you really care about, someone that you love, because you're going through a hard time and you're going to underestimate how much you need that. Whether it's making dinner for your neighbor and dropping it off and waving from the porch, whether it's finding a way to connect with loved ones, we have to proactively address the loneliness factor now more than ever. I mean, if it was a little symptom before, it's a massive problem now. So when you're talking about the importance of connection, you're an expert in the wellness area at work, right? So talk to us about how you see that trending in the wellness industry. Like you said, you were responsible for 130,000 employees. What are the challenges now at work and how do you see the workplace changing and what do you see needs to be added in there? It's become crystal clear for me as someone who's really been in charge of leading programs, products, services, tools for companies to help their population stay well. Companies have gotten into this because they've seen their healthcare costs rising and they're trying to find a way to increase the health and wellness of their working population. But they're trying to do that through programs, through things like give your employees a free gym pass or give them a subscription to Headspace bring in a company like WW, formerly Weight Watchers, help people to stop smoking, enable them to even have naps on site, and the list goes on. Those programs all have merit and they're efficacious and they are science-based. And I've been part of bringing them and similar methodologies into corporations. The problem is the results of them are fleeting If they're inherently trying to be installed into a company that's unwell. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if we don't start looking at how we work 
and the cultures we're fostering in companies, we have no chance in having any of these programs work. You're literally taking bags of money, lighting them on fire and throwing them out the window. And how we work is a problem. You know, we've all worked for bosses that have said, enjoy your vacation. It's going to be fantastic. Good luck. Can you just finish this impossible deadline before you leave? And they'll still be the ones to call you or text you at all hours of the night when you're supposed to be on holiday. Meetings that are started with every problem that's going with the business instead of celebrating the things that are going well. These are just minor examples, but huge examples of colleagues that also feel chained to their desk, that can't take advantage of the wonderful gym that may have been built at the office despite all the marketing that's coming from HR, because they feel chained to their desk and that they're going to be frowned upon if they take their lunch break in the gym. So we are talking out of both sides of our mouths. This is so much more about looking not just on programs, products, and services to bring into companies, they're important, but looking at the culture of a company, which you have to really do both and ideally one before the other. How do you do that? It's something that I've done, and I will tell you, I've fallen on my face a few times because I've been focused on the best programs, the -the state-of-the-art programs, and I've just assumed that everyone has bought into bringing in this great program to a company. You literally have to start at the top. You have to find your way to involve the whole leadership team around the country, around the office, however big, whatever your scale is. You have to find a way of helping people to understand and identify with how they prioritize their own well-being. I'll give you an example, something that I did at my last company. We had a number of products, programs, services we wanted to bring in for our colleagues, but it was pretty clear that they needed help with their leadership. And so we spent time interviewing the senior leadership team, the top 15 people at the company, about what wellness and well-being meant to them, and also dug into what they thought were fallacies or witchcraft or lip service or whatever, really understanding their points of view. And that helped us go back to the drawing board and realize that our next big company event that brought in a thousand leaders, all of our corporate, our regional leadership, our general managers of all our hotels, we spent a half hour educating them on the commercial benefits of wellness and well-being so that they'd understand that it actually could impact their performance, their company performance, their team performance. And then once we help them understand why they should commercially care, because it's growing faster than nearly any business out there, we then audited their own well-being, gave them data right there so that we could tell them, here's how you're scoring mentally, physically, spiritually. There are lots of tools out there to audit your own well-being in the moment. Gave them something to look at, in some cases freaked them out, and then started having a conversation about what wellness meant to them. So bottom line is we had to help them commercially care because they were running businesses, then help them personally identify whether it was financial, spiritual, emotional, connecting with loved ones, whatever their personal definitions of wellness was. And then only then could we help them turn around and be models for their team members and their families and their communities. It's a long road. It doesn't happen overnight. It certainly won't happen in one year or two years even. It is just as important to evolve the culture of how we work versus the programs we bring to life. So it's almost using the idea of wellness and turning that into your culture. Our individuals and all of our teammates are going to become stronger 
and that's the culture. So we're not really talking about life balance as much as now we're talking about, I mean, what is the word? Is it wellness? We're talking about what? I think it's not work-life balance anymore. I think it's work-life integration. I think it's integration and it's helping to build boundaries and communicating what's important to you. You might decide that wellness to you means having dinner every night with your loved ones. You know, wellness to someone else could be making sure that they can pay their bills and feel safe in their community. Wellness to someone else could be I need to meditate and journal every day. Whatever it ends up being, it's not one size fits all. And we need to tolerate, empathize, and understand that it's different for each and every one of us. And so nothing's better than a team that gets together for the first time that talks about what's important to you. You know, I did this with my own team. What's important to you? How do you stay at your best? What makes you the happiest? Like, what's a perfect day for you? And having those conversations, I learned that one of my colleagues likes to work out in the morning. I learned someone else likes to sleep in but work later. And so when you start understanding that, you're in a much better position to empathize and lead wellness for your teams and model it. But you have to talk about it because it's different for me as it is for Doro and you, Tricia. But how do you do that virtually? I mean, we've talked to many of our partners at the conference that they're CEOs of large companies. Their people aren't going back. And they're finding that we're going to just probably commit to another six months at least. So how do we do that? How do we help them start building a culture with everybody at home? I think very similarly to the conversation I just suggested, I think this is going to be different for every company. And whether you're private, you're public, it's going to be very different as to start organically at a grassroots level with team members and grow from there. I think the best thing executive leaders can do is to champion that culture of well-being before they even know what that means for their particular company. Because this way, it's giving permission to leaders to have these kinds of conversations with their teams. And they may discover a new way of working. They might change their operating hours. They might have Zoom-only times and work periods. You guys have heard of a company called Technogym. You know, they're in Italy. One of the things I thought was so amazing is They have a company policy at their home headquarters that they now honor at home in their home offices that you can't schedule meetings between 12 and 2. It's not allowed. It's just not allowed. So that is when people are going to eat. Maybe they work out. Maybe they take a siesta, as we know is common in Europe. I mean, who knows? But they have literal hours where you can't schedule meetings. We've heard of companies in France where there are no email hours. Emails cannot go out after 5 p.m. on a Friday until 8 a.m. on a Monday, you have to cash them. There's going to be penalties around that. We've talked about the data and science around a four-day work week where they've done some pilots. That could be something that happens because God knows we're working longer and harder than we ever have before. People have hit 40 hours well before they get to Friday. So that kind of conversation, they need to get real and champion this culture of well-being and make it okay to have these conversations and make it okay to find new recipes and ways to work, sometimes for each team, potentially for the company. And it's literally working with their leaders once they have the voice of their employees to funnel it up and funnel it down. I'm not suggesting it's easy, Tricia. It's very, very hard work because we have to basically undo decades of poor habits, that technology has been a lot of gifts, but it's also completely allowed no separation between work and life. And so we really have to undo some bad habits to realize our potential in this area. 
what kind of wearables did you use or do you recommend that give you good data as a leader? When you were saying you would collect data and they would learn things, is there anything you'd like, especially right now? On a personal level, there are some phenomenal gadgets out there, but they can be cost prohibitive for the average person, right? Most everyone today has a phone. Most phones have some inherent health app in it. You can see how many steps you're walking. You can track your cycles as females. I mean, the list goes on. There's so many things you could do. So that's one thing. When I think about apps that are out there, honestly, if you don't have a meditation app on your phone right now to take a time out, whether it's Calm, Headspace, Meditation Live, we all need tools that we can reach to when we know we need a time out. You got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. So there's that. When I look at corporations, there are a number of companies out there that actually provide assessment tools that can be embedded into your phones, could be embedded into your computers, where you take an assessment at any point in time and you can see how you are week to week, day by day. A good example of that is there's this company that I've used before called the Energy Audit. It's an app that you can take and it's phenomenal. It takes about five minutes to answer all these questions around four dimensions of health and well-being, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. Spiritual, more around purpose and so forth. You take it and you see how you're doing on any given day. And I will tell you, 80% of the people that take it, their worst area or dimension is not what you would think, physical. Oh, you know, I need to lose weight or eat well. It's mental. Typically in a corporate environment, 70 to 75% will score poorly in mental health and wellness. That's where stress is. That's where managing your own anxiety, any of those things are there. And what I love about these kinds of apps that are available out there is that corporations, if they're willing, could ask their colleagues to take these audits and they can start getting anonymously and in a consolidated fashion, the state of how people are rating their own mental, physical, emotional well-being. And then it's easier for a company to determine, well, where should we gear more of our efforts, right? Depending on the assessment of the company. So there's a lot of tools out there. Trisha, I don't think that's the issue. The issue is the willingness to make it a priority for the entire organization from the top down and the bottom up. That's where we have our work to do. Mia, you've done some work recently with love in businesses. Can you talk about that? One of my wellness practices, I'm going to give you a little look under the hood, is when I'm going through something difficult, I personally have to go find something to research or something new to learn to get myself out of this dark hole. And I've had this hypothesis for a couple of years now, much like I did for wellness and well-being to legitimize it, to see the science and evidence behind it. I had this hypothesis that if we institutionalize love as a business strategy, that it could actually be seen in a top line and a bottom line analysis. Like, how could we look at that? And so when I had to furlough my entire organization earlier this year, when COVID first began, we did that for 60 days. I said, this is my chance to go look at love. And I cannot believe what I discovered. I've discovered that there are companies out there that you can dig into, like Subaru and Southwest Airlines and others that have actually found a way to institutionalize love in their business practices, and it's paid them back. They're best in class in their areas. Subaru, for example, it wasn't just a clever marketing campaign of love. It's what makes a Subaru. When you dig in, you can find it into their purpose. It's actually been 
part of why they have been focused on inclusion and diversity for years before we were. I found a case with prudential retirement that actually dates back to 2003, that as managers, they decided to institute all these positivity practices, which included love, and love is its greatest form of positivity, and how it changed how they worked and what they prioritized. And it actually paid them back. Their ROI was huge. We don't have time to get into all of that today, but I also learned the relationship between trust and institutionalizing love as a business practice. If you do not have trust, that foundation of the house, love can't grow. And I don't mean to sound this ether, I'll get really real. When was the last time you as an employee was asked what you loved about your job? Or as a customer, what you loved about being a customer for that company? Or a board member, why do they love being on the board? It sounds you know, a little uncomfortable when love enters a boardroom. But when you really dig into that and you realize there are people that love their jobs and when they tell you why, you instantly want to bottle it and replicate it. Well, you can, but you have to ask the question first. And so that research gave me so much hope for the future because I think 2020 is going to really help us to get real from well-being to how we treat each other. If we haven't learned anything about what's going on in the world today, how we treat each other is so important. And I really think love, if you institutionalize it as a business practice, I'm happy to say that my hypothesis is right. It can pay you back, much like investing in wellness can. And so I'm excited to see more companies take the risk and take the leap of faith to do just that. Well, I mean, I drive a Subaru. There you go. (laughs) See? It worked. But do you have a masterclass? I wrote an article that basically synthesized two months of research, and you can find that on LinkedIn on my profile. More people than I thought accessed the article and read about it, and I was asked then by the Global Wellness Institute to create a masterclass on love, which was the whole new world for me, and I did. It's about an hour long, and that's now on YouTube, so if you look up Mia Carrico's Global Wellness Summit, Love as a Business Strategy, you'll find it. I also was connected to this amazing man, his name's Steve Farber, and I discovered during my research that he wrote a book called Love is Just Damn Good Business, and he actually found my article because I quoted him on it, and he has a really successful podcast series, and he brought me on, and that's where we talked about love, wellness, and well-being as the business trifecta moving forward. And so please, I would love for you and your listeners to go look at these tools and resources, the article and the podcast for only one reason, and that's just to pay it forward and bring love to life as a business strategy, because I talk about how it's connected to wellness and well-being. And I think it's just a, another avenue into the promised land of being more well at work in life. We just couldn't agree more. And that's why we were so excited that you were joining us on Health Gig, because this is the work that Dora and I have been spending a lot of time on and this idea of connection, this idea of how we can become healthier with each other and grow stronger, particularly during these times. So to hear your perspective on everything, Mia, has just been fabulous. And we're so excited that our listeners get to hear you and read everything that you've written. So thank you for joining us. We so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I think the work you're doing is so important and we need more of it. So 
to the extent that I can ever support what you guys are doing, it would be an honor. I'm, I'm so impressed. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.